Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. You're looking at verses 1 through 7 today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Continue our study in the book of Colossians, which is basically Paul writing to a church that he had never visited. And I'll get into that in just a moment. Let's go ahead and read this passage. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will, be delude, will delude you uh, with pervasive, persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in, G- in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been full, firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Let's bow together in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, open our hearts to your truth, your words today. Help us to maybe even have a, a, a burden for those who may be struggling with their faith so that you can use us to give them words of encouragement. Lord, help us to stand firm in our faith, knowing that there will be many who will try to persuade us away from it. And Lord, help us to know how we can best apply your truths to our lives so that we can live in a way that truly honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Won't you just think for just a moment, people in your life, who comes to mind that maybe has made a profession of faith but seems to be struggling with their walk. They just don't seem to be either living an obedient life to the Lord or, or maybe they are reacting to some outside influence, some false teaching, something they've heard on the television or, or the radio or somebody's come to their home and tried to lead them astray from the truth. Think of somebody that you know, a family member, a co-worker, a friend, a next door neighbor that needs a word of encouragement. Well, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. A young man named Epaphras happened to be in the city of Ephesus while Paul was preaching there. Came under the influence of the gospel that Paul was preaching and became a child of God. Well, he was from the little city of Colossae. And he wanted to take this good news, this message of salvation back to his hometown. And so he did, and he began preaching the gospel and a small church form, we see this church as being what this letter is written to, the church of Colossae. But now, not sure how many years pass, but this young pastor realizes there are outside influences trying to infiltrate this little church. And 
He trusts one man. He trusts Paul to give him wisdom and guidance to know how to deal with this. Problem is, Paul is no longer in Ephesus. Paul is about 1,200 miles away in Rome. But he makes the journey there, and he finds Paul, and he starts sharing with Paul all that's going on in this little church at Colossae. And Paul has experienced this before. He knows all the false teachings that abound around. Christianity is still a very new, quote, religion, and there's a lot of people who are wanting to see, you know, what they can do to add their own take on this belief. Christianity is based on the workings of Jesus Christ and Him alone. But man's mind cannot comprehend that God would send us uh, his son to earth and die for our sins and that it is our faith in him and him alone that gives us salvation and eternal life. So man adds man's take on it. And so we see basically three different types of false teachings that have invaded this little church in Colossae. We have what we call the Judaizers, those who were raised in the Jewish faith who came to Christ and they just cannot comprehend that some Gentile who's never been a Jew could just receive this message of salvation and instantly be saved. They said, you know, Christianity came out of Judaism. So in order for you to become a Christian, you must first convert to Judaism and follow all the restrictions of Judaism, and then you can become a Christian. And so they were teaching the, the rules and the regulations that you must follow in order to become a Christian. Then you had those who were kind of called the Gnostics, and they, they love knowledge. And they believe that, well, it's not just this faith. There has to be some knowledge. There has to be something we can teach as a way of gaining some kind of relationship with God. And so they believe that there was some inherent, built-in way for man to receive this relationship with God and they had found the secret, and they wanted to teach it to other people. In other words, salvation was not just a faith. It is head knowledge that they could teach. Then you had those who were called the ascetics. They basically said, well, God is spirit, and only God is good. Man is flesh and blood, and we are evil because we sin. And so they looked at Jesus as being flesh and blood, so he could not be God. He may have been a good person, but he was not God. And they believed that their only way to get to heaven, to get to God, was to try to abstain from anything of the flesh. And so they followed very strict uh, dietary regiments. And basically, they abstained from anything that was pleasurable to the flesh. And so we have all these different teachings that were invading this little church at Colossae. Paul has dealt with these types of beliefs all through his ministry. He knows exactly what's going on, but he sees that this little church is struggling under all these false teachings. Now, if Paul could, he would get on a ship and brave all the dangers that it would take for him to get to this little city of Colossae, but he can't. He's under arrest in Rome. He's under house arrest, but he cannot leave. And so here is what he's saying, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not 
personally seen my face. He's saying, you're not alone, Church of Colossae. There's another church just up the road in the little city of Laodicea who's going through the same thing. And there are many other churches that I have never been able to visit that need this word of encouragement. So basically what I said in the beginning is think to yourself. Who in your life needs a word of encouragement like this? And we're going to see the words of encouragement that Paul gives them. And they're the same words of encouragement that we all need and we all need to be sharing with those around us. So we look in verse 2, it says, that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. We're going to break down this one verse, probably about three different sections. That their hearts may be encouraged. Well, first of all, Paul knows the discouragement that the people in this church of Colossae are going through. They had heard the gospel from their pastor, Epaphras, and now they are hearing conflicting teachings. And their pastor is gone because he needs encouragement himself from Paul. We're not sure just who is there. Uh, we know that a man named Tychicus and Philemon are the ones who deliver this message this letter to the church of Colossae. So Tychicus may be the one who is there to kind of give them these words of encouragement. But what we do know is that they need this encouragement. They know, Paul knows that they're going through a lot of strife, trying to figure out, what do we believe? We heard Epaphras preaching this gospel message of salvation by faith in Jesus. And now we're hearing all these other messages from all these other people infiltrating our church and we don't know which way to turn. And so Paul is giving them the words of encouragement. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, most of the time when we think about the heart, we think about emotions. And he knows that they're going through emotional turmoil, trying to figure out what is the truth, what do we believe. But he also knows that part of the heart is also the mind. What is controlling what we do in life? And so basically he is dealing with understanding the truth. What is the truth? What is it that they need to believe with their heart and so that they can live these things out? Well, there's only one source of this truth, and it's not Paul. He knows that, and he is always going to be pointing them to the one source of truth, and that is Jesus. And Jesus now gives us his truth through his Holy Spirit. So basically what Paul's doing, he's praying for the Holy Spirit to make himself present and powerful in the lives of those who are there in this church classe to give them confidence in the foundation that they've already heard through Epaphras. Then he says that their hearts may be encouraged having been knitted together in love. Knitted together. I cannot knit. But basically it's taking two pieces of yarn and crisscrossing them and making little knots so that they become one piece of fabric. And that's basically what God does with us. He takes us individuals as Christians and he puts us together and he knits us together so that we become one unity, the church. Not just First Baptist Church in Macon, Mississippi, but the church, all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what basically he is saying from verse 1. He's saying, not only you, but also those who are in Laodicea. He's reminding them, you're not alone in this battle. The church is always under spiritual warfare, and we are not alone. We need to see ourselves as being brothers and sisters in Christ 
to all believers. And so we look and we see that he is helping them to understand that you're not alone. You're knitted together as a unity of the church by faith in Christ. Then he adds to that verse uh, 2, and obtaining all the wealth, all the wealth. Well, when we heard that, hear that word wealth, we immediately start looking at dollar signs, don't we? We start thinking about financial wealth. That has nothing to do with what Paul is talking about. He is talking about spiritual wealth, the riches of glory that only comes from, from God. And what is the source of this wealth? Well, he continues and says, from the full assurance of understanding. The full assurance of understanding. Well, here's the problem. Those who are the false teachers, they believe that you can get to God through your own means, whether it's some secret knowledge by following some strict regiments of rules and regulations or by abstaining from the pleasures of life, whatever, it is man-made way to get to God. And here's what Paul is saying, no, we want you to obtain all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. So here is Paul saying, you got it all wrong. You're hearing the wrong message from these false teachers. They want you to find a man-made way to get to God. And God says there is no man-made way to get to God. He wants to give us all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge, and it comes through one source. And he calls it God's mystery. That is Christ Jesus. We dealt with that term mystery last week. Basically what we're seeing is that before Christ came, before he was born of a virgin, before he lived here on this earth, he was a mystery. We go back into the Old Testament and we see the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And so they had this foreshadowing of this man who was to come to save man from his sins. But he was just a foreshadowing, just enough for them to say, we believe by faith that God will provide a Savior but we don't know who he is. We don't know when he will be here. We don't know how he will work. But it was just by faith in this mystery. But now Jesus has come. Paul knows who Jesus was. He knows that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, died in our place, that he rose from the grave to give us victory over sin and Satan and death and hell. And he knows that he ascended to be with the fathers, proving that what he did on the cross was perfect, that he had overcome the penalty of our sins and that God accepted his death for, on our behalf to pay the penalty of our sins and so he could go back into his rightful place in heaven because he had fulfilled his mission on earth. And then even as he was about to ascend into heaven, he said, as I leave, I give you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so basically what we have is that the gospel is not by what man can do, but what God has provided. And the hardest thing for us to do to lead somebody to salvation is to help them to understand you cannot do it yourself. It is by faith and by faith alone. If you want to know about Jesus, you want to know how he can work in your life, you have to surrender to him first. 
You cannot figure out all the things of Christianity without becoming a Christian. You cannot understand who God is. You cannot understand the full fathom of knowledge of who Jesus is. You cannot understand how he came and saved us unless you're willing to say, by faith, I believe that you are who you say you are. And then this miraculous thing takes place. The Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, and he is the spirit of truth. And he gives us the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. And I've, I've, I've shared with you all many times, I pray and hope that you read and study and meditate on the Word of God every day. But I ask you, I plead with you before you even open up the Word of God that you spend time in prayer saying, Lord, may your Holy Spirit give me your wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and explanations of what I'm about to read so that it's not just words on the page, but it is truth and it will radiate into my heart and life and then radiate out as I live it. That's important. And you cannot receive that understanding of the words that you read without the Spirit guiding you. And so this is what Paul is doing. He is encouraging them. Let's read verse 2 again. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knitted together as one in Christ, obtaining all the wealth, the spiritual wealth, that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. So, Paul is saying, you've already received all these things. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything that man can offer you. You don't need to say, okay, it is my faith in Jesus, plus following the rules and regulations of Judaism. It's not my faith in Jesus, plus this secret knowledge. It's not my faith in Jesus, plus abstaining from all these pleasurable things. It is faith and faith alone. So we look and we see that it is our understanding of who Jesus is, that he is the mystery, he is our Savior. Then he says in verse 3, the result, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we receive Christ, then we inherit all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You cannot have the wisdom, the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge without having a relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. It cannot happen. You can read the Bible. You can read about Jesus and what he has done for you. You can come to an understanding of what he did on the cross for you that will lead you to salvation. But to understand how we can then relate to God through him cannot truly take place until the Spirit of God takes these truths that are hidden and become known. So we have this true knowledge of God, the mystery, who is Jesus Christ, not some secret knowledge, not some other man-made way to get there. Instead, we receive this knowledge through Christ alone. He is that mystery. And as Jesus, he is the wealth that brings and knits us together. And then he who was the mystery to those who are not believers becomes known to those who believe in whom all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. 
Now, just think a minute. If Jesus is the source and the only source of wisdom and knowledge, spiritual wisdom and knowledge that we need desperately to have a right relationship with Jesus, if he's the only source of that, why would we go anywhere else? Why would we seek anything else? And that's what Paul is doing. He's encouraging this young family of believers in Colossae to quit listening to these outside sources that are promising that they can have an even greater relationship with God if they will just follow their teachings. He's saying, no, it is in Christ, Christ alone. So then he gives a warning against those false teachers. Look at verse 4. And I, and I say this so that no one will delude you with pervasive arguments. Those who are false teachers tend to be very charismatic. They tend to be excellent at debating. They already have their way of belief wrote. They, they know it inside, outside, upside, downside. They know how to argue their beliefs. And... They are very persuasive. You don't have to show hands or anything like that, but I imagine pretty much everyone here has probably had somebody knock on their door and say, you know, we believe in Jesus, but we believe differently than you do. Your way of believing about Jesus is wrong, and we're here to tell you the right way to believe about Jesus. See, they tend to use the same terms that we do as Christians. They say we believe in Jesus, they believe in all these different things, but they will turn the true meaning of the words that we use in Christianity and mean something different. So we have to be very careful so that no one will delude us with persuasive arguments because they are masters of doing that. And so we need to be very cautious about that. They believe that they have this right knowledge about Jesus when they don't. They have a man-made knowledge of Jesus. Some will take a wonderful passage of Scripture found in John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They'll add one letter to that. They'll say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And they'll say that Jesus was a God, and you too can become a God. We have to be very careful with what others try to persuade us with. So then we get to verse 5. It says, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit. Paul is encouraging from afar. He knows he cannot be with them. He knows that the people are saying, Well, if it's so important for us to receive this message, why aren't you here? Well, there's a good reason he's under house arrest in Rome and cannot leave. But his heart is with him. He's saying, I cannot be physically with you, but I am with you in spirit. And that's not just a trivial way of saying this. He knows what they're going through. He has faced these false teachers everywhere he's gone. And he has gone through most of the known world from city to city, from region to region, preaching the gospel. And he has faced them head on. And he knows what they're going through. So basically he's saying, I know what you're facing. I understand my heart is going out to you because of this. He is truly with them in spirit. 
But then he goes on and says, I am rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. How in the world does Paul know that they're being good in their discipline spiritually and that they are being stable in their faith in Christ? Because there's a man who's spending time with him, their former pastor, Epaphras. He is giving testimony of how faithful this group of people are, even though they are under attack. Paul is giving the encouragement to keep from being persuaded with the false teachings, and he is now trying to encourage them by saying, here is what I see that is good in you. From Epaphras, he has learned that they have a good discipline. They, in other words, they are being obedient to the Word of God, to the God's will, and they are showing stability in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the words discipline and stability are pretty common words that we use, but if you go back into the Greek and the original words there, they were military words that were used. Discipline basically described each soldier. Each soldier had to be trained for a specific purpose, whether they used the sword or whether they rode a horse or whether they uh, shot a bow and arrow, whatever their purpose was, each soldier had to be trained for a specific purpose, and they knew what their purpose was. Well, we are soldiers in God's army, and each one of us has been given spiritual gifts to be used in unique and special ways that God has intended for us to be a part of the church. Okay, that deals with discipline, knowing how God has created us and is to be using us in the greater good for the cause of Christ. But then the stability is each soldier joining together and becoming a united force called an army. Well, we as children of God, we take the spiritual giftedness and talents and abilities that God gives us and we join together and we join and mesh those abilities and talents and gifts together to become the church of Christ, united to stand against the foe of Satan. And so that's what Paul is saying. I see you doing these things. I hear about you doing these things, that you do know that God has infiltrated your heart. He has given you these gifts and spirits and abilities, and that you are uniting. You are a stable force for Christ. So he is encouraging them with what he has heard from Epaphras. And then we look and we see... Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. That's the encouragement that we've been hearing from the word of God, not only through Colossians, but also as we studied the book of James. James taught us how we are to live out our faith. It's one thing to become a child of God, to hear about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to, to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. But then we need to live it out. And that's what Paul's saying. Therefore, as you have received, so walk in him. Walk faithful to the calling that has been placed upon your life. That means be obedient. Do the will of God in all that you do. And so we look and he goes into verse 7 and says, Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. So walk in him, being firmly rooted. That firmly rooted is a picture of a tree. 
that its roots have started to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into the ground so that the winds and the storms come, the tree's not going to topple over. Any kind of tree with shallow roots typically is more prone to, to be uprooted when the storms come. There are a few exceptions. Susan and I went to uh, Muir Woods in, up above San Francisco many years ago, and the Redwood Forest is there. And these are skyscrapers of trees, but they have very sh shallow roots, but they all grow very close together, and their roots go out and intermingle with each other. So that's kind of an exception to the rule. But for a typical tree, for it to be firmly planted, its roots have to keep growing deeper and deeper as the tree grows taller and taller. Spiritually speaking, that means that when you and I became a child of God, we didn't know everything there was about being a Christian. We didn't know everything there is to know about Jesus and our relationship with God. And so we need to grow and mature in our Christian walk, and we do that by growing deeper and deeper roots. Well, how do we do that? Well, first we pray and say, Lord, grant me wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding as I read and study your word. And as we read and study and meditate on the word of God, he gives us a greater understanding of who he is and how he wants us to live. Then we have this intimate time of God that we call prayer. And as we do, we say, Lord, help me to not only understand your word, but then to apply it to my life so I can live it out each and every day. That's how our roots get deeper and stronger so that we become more and more mature and more stable in our walk with Christ. So he and he alone is the ability for us to be established in our faith, to walk in him, having firmly rooted, so that now being built up in him and established in our faith, just as you were instructed, Paul's saying, Epaphras did a good job. He's already instructed you on doing this. Now here's a reminder. Do it, and God will bless you. Not by wealth, physical wealth, financial wealth, but by the wealth of his knowledge, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, all the things that we gain from God. But then he finishes up, last few words, and flow, overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Now, as we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, as we begin this journey called Christianity, as we place our faith further and further into the Lordship of Christ, and we live in obedience to the Lordship, we live out our faith each and every day, then we see God's hand of mercy, His hand of grace, his many wonderful blessings, his spiritual gifts being fulfilled in our lives, and we see God at work, providing us with salvation, eternal life, but also using us for his honor and glory. And for that, we need to be overflowing with gratitude, thanking God, first of all, that he was willing to save us from our sins, that he was willing to give us his gift of eternal life, then saying, Lord, I also thank you that you're with me today, that whatever I face today, that you will be the guiding force. I may face persecution. I may face hardships. But just like James tells us, let us count it all joy when we face these difficult trials of life. 
Not that God is going to protect us from them, but instead that God is going to help us to grow through them. That our faith will enable us to, to let God work in us and through us as we face these trials. And so we show gratitude by saying, Lord, thank you that whatever I face today, you'll be the guiding force that I need to face it. And then as we see the results, we see God loving us, caring for us, ministering to us, blessing us with his wisdom and understanding and all these wonderful things, then we just need to be even more grateful and thankful. So Paul cannot be with these people. He's about 1,200 miles away from them. And yet, he's struggling. He's agonizing over their situation. You know he wants to be with them. He would love to make that trip, regardless of how dangerous it might be, and be with them face to face. Who is there in your life, whether close by or far away, that needs a word of encouragement spiritually? They need somebody to come along and say, you know, not sure what all is going on in your life, but I believe there's an answer to whatever it is you're facing. His name is Jesus. And the more that you surrender your heart and soul to him, the more he will give you wisdom and understanding of who he is and how he wants to work in your life and how he wants to bless you. There's going to be a lot of people, and there probably are a lot of people in your life that are trying to lead you away from Jesus. They're trying to tell you that there's a man-made way that's right, that there isn't. Jesus is the only way. As he was about to leave, he said, I'm about to go to be with my father. You know the way. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. How do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts to your truths. Help us to receive this letter of encouragement so that we too, if we are struggling in our walk with Christ, that we will find the strength that we need to live obediently and to surrender anew by faith, fully in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, there is no man-made way for us to get to you. You are the only way through Jesus. Help us, Lord, to live out our faith as we leave this place, to be used by you, to use the talents and abilities and the spiritual gifts that you've given us so that you can work in us and through us to do your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Help us, Lord, be found faithful. Lord, there are also others, people that we know that are struggling with their faith. Lord, give us the right words to say, whether it's in a letter, a phone call, or a visit, whatever it may be. Lord, use us, just like you use Paul, to encourage those who need it most. Lord, may you be found May we be found faithful, allowing you to work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.